Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, still, less ukulele, even in the holiday season. Now, in this episode, oxygen is a necessary component of the brew day, but it's also deadly to beer quality in almost all other parts of the process. It's our sometimes enemy. We're walking you through our thoughts on oxygen and how to use it and what steps we feel you need to really take in order to get the most bang for your labor. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Airstill Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small-batch 2-in-1 distillation system operates in either pot still or reflex mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug-and-play. The Airstill Pro column cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits Airstill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the Airstill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Welcome back, everybody. And remember, as always, if you talk to any of our sponsors, let them know that you heard about them here on The Brew Files. Now, oxygen, I refer to it as our sometimes enemy up there in the front of the front of the program. It is sometimes our enemy. It's sometimes our friend. And there's a lot of debate going on back and forth for people today about just how much you have to be concerned about oxygen while brewing. Uh, Denny, you are out there all the time doing discussions with people online. I know you've seen a lot of oxygen discussions recently. Yeah. And if you'll permit me to uh, diverge and do a little story, you know how I like my stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, many years ago, uh, when I was a huge proponent of batch sparging and going around talking about it to everybody, an article came out in Brew Your Own magazine talking about how that was a perfect way to oxidize your mash. And, uh, you know, what you really need to do is keep it wa- covered with water the whole time to keep air from getting to it. Now, that's not exactly true, but it's close enough. But I remember that I and a huge number of other people said, 
that is just crazy. You know, that doesn't happen. I can tell if my beer is oxidized. It doesn't taste like cardboard. Got into a huge, huge debate argument with this guy, which I felt like I finally won because he gave up. <laughs> that doesn't mean you actually won the technical aspect of the argument. That well, you know what, stubborn. man? Uh, yeah, yeah. Age brings wisdom, and I, I realize that now. <laughs> so fast forward uh, to, I don't know, when did, the, when did the low oxygen guys show up on the AHA forum? Maybe like eight seven, years ago? Yeah, seven, eight something? years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. So people started posting on the AHA forum about mash oxidation and low oxygen brewing and again i went into my rap saying no that's crazy and i think that at that point in time what i was really reacting to was the extreme rigmarole that they went through to try and limit the amount of oxygen in their in their mash or or whatever the message wasn't exactly delivered, I think, in the most approachable fashion. No, 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 no. They pretty much said, look, if you're not doing it this way, then your beer sucks, you know, <laughs> which is not the way to get people on your side. Uh, take, I have experience with that. Uh, so basically, you know, after, after again, claiming that they were out of their minds and everything, I decided, geez, maybe I should actually do some research on this. Wouldn't that be novel? And yeah, right. And it turns out that, yes, oxygen in the mash is a big deal. And, you know, I should have realized that because when I went to Sierra Nevada Beer Camp about eight years ago, maybe, maybe 12. Yeah, maybe it was 12 years ago. Uh, I had, I had longer hair and I was skinnier then. Um, they were showing us the incredible lengths they go through to prevent oxygen getting into their mash. Now we're talking about the, the hot side here. We're not talking about, uh, you know, when you package and stuff like that. They, they de-aerate their mash water. And then, for instance, looking around doing even more research, I found out they're not the only brewery that does that. Many large, high-quality, award-winning breweries do that as a first step to strip the oxygen from their mash water because mash aeration creates mash oxidation, which leads to effects that are different than what we have been taught to look for as hot side aeration. Uh, it will reduce, uh, it will result in a reduced malt character. It will result in a reduced hop character, overall aroma. Um, so these days, what happens is when you try and explain this to people, very often they will come back with the same argument that I made saying, what? I'm, there's either, there's no such thing as hot side aeration. Brewlosophy proved it. Yeah, right. Uh, they will say, my beer isn't, doesn't have hot side aeration because it doesn't taste like cardboard. And let's face it, there are more than, there's more than one effect that uh, that aeration on the hot side can provide. Like, for instance, an exaggerated caramel character in your malt. But what what happens is that they don't want to know that this exists. It, it does exist. Let me tell you. I'm telling you right now. If you go out and do any research on it, it does exist. The issue then becomes how bad is it? Does it bother you? And how intense do you want to get about dealing with it? And I think that that's where we're going to go on on this discussion. 
Right. And so just to put it right up front, you know, we just, I mean, the sometimes enemy, right? Oxygen absolutely is a good thing. We, we know we need it because after all, we need to worry about, you know, our yeast health and the fermentation mechanics. And so we need oxygen during that period of time. The rest of the time in the process, we kind of don't really need oxygen. And in fact, a lot of times oxygen is a bad thing outside of basically growing up yeast. Oxygen, um, oxygen is a good thing at the right time. Yep. And so one term that you'll hear brewers throw around a lot, and if you don't know it, and this was actually what prompted me to, to set this talk up, is the term DO or dissolved oxygen, right? So that's the, the dough part of low dough. Uh, but dissolved oxygen is basically just a measure of how much oxygen is infused into the beer through the brewing process. And so as Denny was just alluding to, O2 is everywhere in the process. It's in your mash water. It's in the mash itself. It's in any agitation that you do. It's in transfers. Um, yeah, it's entrained in the grains in your mash tun, which is why a lot of people underlet their mash water. Yep. So the good thing, again, like I said, with oxygen, it creates sterols. That's what we need it for. We need it to generate healthier yeast, more flexible yeast, yeast that are more prepared to do battle, right? Uh, against the sugar and generate that ethanol and CO2 that we want. So that's where you'll see people doing things like we do our shaken, not stirred starters. And back in the day, you saw people doing O2 injection into, into stir plate starters and using stir plates to kind of keep yeast agitated and growing and mixing and moving. For fermentation, we need about eight to 15 parts per million of oxygen in the, in the beer, uh, nominally. Uh, these days, unless I'm doing a really big beer, I tend to skip over the oxygenation stuff because I'm pitching very healthy yeast. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. And if I can back up a little bit, mm-hmm. a stir plate does little to nothing to oxygenate well, your starter. No, but, it, but it does affect yeast growth. So, uh, you'll get about. Does it really? It does. Yeah. You'll get about one and a half times the number of cells. I'm, I'm, I'm looking this up here. I, I, I can, I can countermand your example. Uh, the other reason why I think uh, Denny and I have uh, spent a lot of time moving away from oxygenating the wort is because you and I are both using a lot more dried yeast recently. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. Uh, although, again, the main reason I do is because I'm pitching a healthy active starter with the SNS. Yeah. So basically, do a shake and not stirred starter. Don't mess with a stir plate anyway, because stir plates are just more things to go wrong. If you like gear, fine. But neither of us use them anymore. Uh, I pitch a lot of dry yeast. Denny pitches a lot of shaken out stirred starters. And dry yeast, yeah. And dry yeast. Makes it a lot easier in terms of auction. Because also, I don't want to run over to Home Depot and go buy a red auction bottle all the time. So can I I read from an article on our website? Yes. Okay, this is called... Shaken, not stirred, the stir plate mythbuster. It's it's on our website. Go there, look it up. And Mark Vandita, who wrote the article, writes: It is claimed that stir plates oxygenate yeast cultures. However, anyone who has studied physics and chemistry knows that the shape of an Erlenmeyer flask does not lend itself to O2 absorption. The conical shape of an Erlenmeyer flask, combined with its rapidly narrowing cone, leads to a small, specific surface area in which O2 can be absorbed. People claim that spinning the bar fast enough to create a vortex improves oxygen. Oxygenation. 
to a point that claim is true because it results in an increase in specific surface area. However, doing so comes at the cost of yeast cell wall health due to shear stress caused by the spinning bar. Shear stress is something that has been well studied when it comes to the production of dry yeast. Yes, and I will also tell you that the PhD who taught me yeast mechanics has graphs that show one and a half times the cell growth, and also will tell you that yeast shearing or shearing on cell walls is not a concern at the homebrew level. I I, I truly believe that part too. Yeah, uh, shear stress is really not not a big concern. Uh, the thing is, in a in a shaken not stirred starter, you're not really that concerned about cell growth. Right. No, you're 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 more concerned about cell activity. Right. I mean, and, and truthfully, I mean, look, that's the other thing that's changed about yeast over time is that the yeast cultures that we get, whether they're from white yeast or white labs or Imperial or, or Mega or any of these guys, you know, they're way more active and also way more populous than the ones that, that we got when we were starting. Yeah. So, um, regardless, starters are good. Don't bother with the stir plate. Don't worry about the auction at that point. For wort in fermentation, if you go and you look, professionally speaking, brewers will have, you know, eight to 15 parts per million, ales less, lagers more, increased gravity more, uh, you know, needs. And they'll do that via pure O2. If you try and do it with just air, you're never going to get above about eight parts per million, uh, if mm-hmm. I remember the science correctly. Uh, so if you really do need to get to 15 parts per million, you have to do it via oxygen. The only time I bother with oxygen like that is when I'm making something like the Falcon's Clause. Yeah, just because the yeast is at such a disadvantage there that uh, I figure a little extra boost is not a bad thing. And personally, I would just find a way to pitch more yeast myself. Yeah, I mean, I've pitched like three packs of SO-189 in in a five-gallon patch. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and, you know, just in case people missed it, the reason you oxygenate your word is because the yeast uses that oxygen – to make sterols, which are an unsaturated fatty acid, uh, and you know it keeps the cell walls viable or pliable. Excuse me, it keeps the cell walls pliable and makes budding easier to increase your uh, your cell count. So you know that's that's the purpose of oxygen. Yep. So moving on from the good, which you can tell was a relatively short portion of this whole talk. Moving on to <laughs> yeah. the places why, where oxygen is actually bad. So, as Denny alluded up front, uh, there is a lot more damage that happens in the mash than we've talked about in the past. Uh, you will remember that Charlie Bamforth used to always famously say that basically uh, HSA and the oxidative damage on the hot side is one of the very last things that homebrewers need to worry about until they've actually got everything else dialed in. Um, right. And so, yes, there's plenty of research showing it. You see... The the Lodo stuff really started with a bunch of folks who were really obsessed about German beer and trying to get German malt characters, uh, which is really hard to get. And part of the things is that the German brewers are absolutely technically obsessed with the idea of low uh, dissolved oxygen in the mash. Right. I think the biggest thing that you can do, I mean, and again, all of this is because you have oxygen entrained in the water. You have oxygen entrained in your malt. You have some of the malts, again, like C60, that already kind of carry a pre-oxidative damage component to them. And so really what we're trying to do, if you want to do this, and this is a big debate, if you want to actually kind of follow through on this, and it's actually something that you really need for your beer styles. So again, like a lager beer, 
I think it's actually not a bad thing to do with pale ales and IPA, Sierra Nevada notwithstanding, because Sierra Nevada has a different concern, which is they have to minimize oxidative damage all across the board to begin with, because their beer is going out on the shelf. For most homebrewers and most homebrew styles, I would say that worrying a lot about a a mash water uh, auction, probably not a big concern for you. You know, and our good friend Jeff Rankert has done some uh, some experimenting with this, and he has found that uh, if you're making something like a German lager, that low oxygen in your mash can make a big difference. But he said when he tried making British beers the same way, they just didn't taste right. You know, those beers, the flavor of them actually depends on, uh, to some degree on you oxidizing your mash. So, you know, it may not be that, you know, eliminating mash aeration is always the best thing to do. Yep. Pay attention to your taste buds. Now, I would say, so if you go and you look up like the the stuff from the, the Lodo proponents that are out there, uh, boy, there's a lot of steps and a lot of things they tell you that you absolutely need to do, right? Right. I think the biggest thing that you need to do is boil your water. <laughs> pre-boil your water well and they have they have kind of simplified the practice and the additives uh because partially they discovered that uh, heavy doses of uh of sodium metabisulfite can really have a flavor impact on your beer even if it gets the oxygen out and partially that uh it you know some of the stuff isn't necessary. The philosophy used to be all or nothing. You either have to do all of these things or nothing's going to matter. And it's kind of uh, come to these days that the people who are proponents of low oxygen brewing, and a lot of these are home brewers. There's a couple of guys on the AHA forum who do some of the stuff, but not all of it. And they claim that they have uh, actually seen an improvement in their beers from doing even just a little bit of it so you know you can you can maybe like pick and choose some of the parts and see uh, see what works for you yeah because in the past it was things like okay pre-boil your water to de-aerate it or the other one that you'll see people do is mix a little bit of sugar and yeast into the water and yeah depend upon yeast scavenging or yeast oxygen scavenging to pull out the oxygen um The K-metabisulfite you already talked about, uh, or sodium metabisulfite. Um, and then the other one was, I think, what, uh, also using ascorbic acid as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, and there's a, there's a, uh, compound called the trifecta these days, which is, I can't, I don't even remember what is all is in it. Obviously three different, uh, three different chemicals. And that's what a lot of people have gone to using also. But there are a number of people who just do nothing more than de-aerate their mash water and have seen, uh, say they've seen an improvement from doing that. Yeah. So it looks like uh, trifecta is meta, uh, metabisulfite ascorbic acid and our one of our favorites brutan oh that's right that's right yeah so, so brutan b is also another one it's a what is it a high weight gallotanic acid uh, yeah 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 it, it chelates iron in the mash and stuff like that and i i tell you i'm i'm still using brutan every batch yeah and so i think you get a big a big push towards a lot of the the supposed benefits if you're using just pre-boiled water and uh, and a little bit of brutan B. And those are two yeah. fairly simple te- uh, steps to follow. So so have you ever pre-boiled your mash water? I have. Um, oh. Uh, yeah. You're ahead of me then. 
Yeah, I mean, I did it for uh, I did it for a mild actually because I wanted to see how long I could hold on to a mild and see if it improved the flavor. Um, the mild held on for a little while, but I'm not sure how much that's because I did the pre boil the while the water versus the other thing that we'll get into later. Okay. Um, all right. So that's the the mash. So basically, once you actually uh, pre boil your water or do any of these sort of deaeration steps, the other thought is be as gentle everywhere else as you can be. Um, keep, if you're doing a pump, like, so for instance, Denny and I, we both brew on grandfathers. There's a pump that's an active part of the mash step, right? To help even out the temperature and whatnot, make sure that flow goes underneath the, underneath the surface of the, the liquid. That sort of thing. Don't encourage splashing, right? Yeah. I, you know what? And I frequently see guys with all in one systems use these little things that sprays their sparge water over the top of, of the grain. Uh, you know, or they actually even use those in recirculation sometimes too. And they say, Oh, this is going to increase my, my efficiency. It may, it may not, but at what expense? Man, I just use a pitcher and pour it over. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> all right. So once you get out of the boil at that point in time and you do your, your, any oxygen that you're going to add to the, to the pitch at that point in time, stop. No more. Unless again, yeah. you're doing a big beer, uh, in which case, you know, maybe an, an extra addition at 12 or 24 hours after pitching is an acceptable thing. But at that point in time, oxygen is not your friend anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are people who reoxygenate big beers after pitching up to about 14 hours or so, but I certainly wouldn't go beyond that. Places to watch for O2 ingress into your, into your beer at this point in time. Dry or possibly missing airlocks. Things that have sanitizing solution that's gone the way of the dodo bird, right? So if you're like me and sometimes <laughs> forget that you got a beer fermenting, uh, this can happen to you. Don't do that. Uh, now, by the way, if you're doing some of the stuff that I am a big advocate for in terms of doing open fermentation with certain yeast strains, this, again, reinforces the point that what you need to do is be Johnny on the spot and watch for as the yeast activity dies and get it sealed up, right? Right. Other places that you see O2 ingress, dry hopping. So uh, thing one is that hops themselves can carry oxygen and drain in them, uh, but also a mass of hops will carry oxygen with them as they come in now this has led to all sorts of fun gear that people have made um, uh, yeah yeah like ways of uh, dropping in massive doses of hops without uh without mixing anything else denny i know you're just you just wing it right yeah you know i'm i'm not a huge believer in the fabled co2 blanket over your beer i mean some people go oh, i can do whatever i want because there's a blanket of co2 on there that will protect me well uh, up to a point yes for a few seconds or so there is a co2 blanket in there uh it kind of depends on how big the opening on your fermenter is um, my philosophy is that it, the opening on my fermenter is what like an inch inch and a half something like that uh I have timed myself. It takes me three seconds to put in the dry hops. So I open the fermenter, put the dry hops in, close it back up. If that CO2 blanket doesn't last for three seconds, then I guess I don't care because that's as much as I'm doing. But there are people who are so paranoid uh, or 
careful, <laughs> depending on which way you want to go, especially with things like uh, New England IPA, that they use, uh, th- they'll, they'll like put a magnet in their in their hot bag and then uh, stick it to the top of the fermenter with a magnet on the outside, pull the outside magnet when they want to let the uh, the hops drop in. And that's great. But then I see these same people just oxidizing the crap out of their mash. Yeah, it is funny. I I have to admire the magnet on both sides because that's actually a fairly clever low tech solution. <laughs> yeah. All right, you have to trust that your magnet's going to be sanitized, but um, still. Yeah, and and strong enough. I've heard people trying to do that, and you know the hops drop like in two hours or something like that because the magnet isn't really that good. So, you know, whatever works for you. Well, the other low tech solution that I'll advocate for, if what you're really worried about is the O2 coming in with the hops. Um, instead of having like a big fancy hop dropper with, you know, CO2 and gross and all that sort of fun stuff, the other cheat, and I've done this once and I need to explore it more, but I think it's more important in New England IPAs. And so I don't usually do this is get yourself a two liter soda bottle or whatever soda bottle of choice that you have. Stuff your hops in there. Use one of those carbonator caps to actually fill the bottle with CO2 and, you know, you know, purge all that sort of fun stuff and then dump that in. And then I think you get, I would suspect you get 95% of the benefit other than not having fancy gear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, again, whatever you want to do, fine. But, uh, you know, it, it's not as big a deal as uh, you might think it is. Nope. Now, the place where I do think a lot of people have to be careful is when it comes to packaging. Packaging is your last great chance to screw this up and i think a lot of people do screw it up so this is when you go to keg when you go to bottle when you go to can um because those steps are labor intensive you're prone to make mistakes and it is a a very large chance to induce or introduce o2 and you can kind of stop and think about it you know denny you allude to you talk about stir place surface area does matter Uh, uh, and so bottles, for instance, part of the reason why I see people going absolutely nuts trying to get canned New England IPAs to work at the homebrew level. Part of the reason I think they don't have as much success is because the bottle is so much narrower, far less exchange. Um, and I think it works better for this. Also, if you're doing yeast in your bottles, you've got native oxygen scavenging built in, right? Right. But cans, as much as I love cans and as wonderful as they are, they're really tricky to pull off. So, and they're also really, because you think about how wide that, that can top is compared to the the amount of volume that you have in the beer, there's a lot of surface area for an exchange. It's a pretty high uh, area. Um, So you got to be really careful if you're going to do cans to actually show that you're being careful about it. Um, And you've, you can see this in people's, uh, uh, people's postings about their various, New England IPAs that they've been doing. I think that's actually been the real bugaboo and why people have started to really care about this. Um, so what do we say to prevent the damage from oxygen? Uh, the biggest advantage that you have as a home brewer is that you get to keep your beer cold. If nothing else, even if you're as dirty, sloppy, disgustingly poor in terms of your, your oxygen management processes, keeping your beer cold saves you from a lot of heartache. <laughs> Yeah, definitely so. Um, cold beer is going to absorb less oxygen than hot beer or warmer beer. 
and cold beer will also have a slower oxidation rate in the package, etc. Right. Yeah, so I mean, keep your beer cold. When we first started brewing, everybody did secondaries. Nowadays, the general advice is not to. And the real reason for that is don't transfer your beer. Don't handle it needlessly. You know, just do the bare minimum that you need. I always advocate for flushing uh, oxygen as much as possible. That could also mean that you want to flush your racking canes if you're that sort of person. Um, but just keep oxygen away, keep it cold, and only touch the stuff as much as you have to. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we already talked on the hot side, some of the chemical additives that you can use. Danny and I are both big fans of Brutan B. Right. It, it, can, it can be hard to find, but it's uh, very effective. Yeah, and there's you can even see old advice out there for antioxidant uh, characteristics of things of like roasted malt. Or uh, you remember Charlie always used to advocate for adding a little touch of cinnamon. Yeah, right. Well, you know, whatever. That's very much the Mother Earth version of antioxidation, right? Yeah, and I'm, you know, I, I assume that he decided, and other people have decided that that works uh, just via sensory as opposed to actually getting anything analyzed to see what happens. Yep. All right. On your processes, get your beer chilled fast. Keep it cold. Don't don't splishy splash the beer around. Right. Uh, you're not taking a bath. I would also say don't sweat the hot side nearly as much as you sweat the cold side. I think in the hot side, the big deal is to just be aware that it can happen and take steps that you think are reasonable. You know, for some people, reasonable steps are going to be a lot more intense than others. For me, I just like try not to splash water, do things, do things uh, easily. Uh, when I lift the basket on my grandfather, I don't lift it all the way. I just lift it far enough for it to start draining. So the word's only dropping maybe an inch or two instead of six inches or a foot. And you're doing that on the one with the winch, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. If you, if you use a winch, that makes it a whole heck of a lot easier. Yeah, I, I don't know if I can stand over the, the G40 holding the basket just above the surface. Well, get Amy to hold it for you. Yeah, I think maybe together we could probably do it. Um, <laughs> fermentation, we already talked about uh, pitching lots of healthy active yeast. You know, Denny and I are huge advocates of this. Healthy active yeast forgives a lot of sins. Yeah. We already talked about dry hopping. On the package, as we said, transfer as little as possible. Keep the beer cold. Remember, there, there's one of those military slogans that I actually think is is good uh, in, in terms of just being a good life lesson, which is slow is smooth, smooth is fast. You want to be fast about your packaging, but don't don't be unsmooth, right? Yeah, right. If you're going to do forced card beer like I do, I mean, 99% of my beer goes into a keg and is forced carved. Um Biggest thing I can tell you to do is make sure you properly flush your kegs. Uh, I've described this process multiple times on the show. I'm going to describe it again because I think it's that important. I see a lot of people out there, they sanitize their kegs and then they dump out the sanitizer and then they hook up the gas and they go and then flush or pull the PRV, evacuate all the CO2, put more CO2 in, do that like seven times and I'm flushed. There's no more, there's no more oxygen there. No, there's still oxygen in there. Gas mixes. Yep. Gas mixes. So instead, do what I do. I advocate on this all the time. Fill the keg all the way up with a sanitizer. So take your favorite sanitizer out there, Star Sand Sandy Clean, IO Star, whatever it is that you use, IOTA 4. Fill it all the way to the tippy top. You want a meniscus forming over the top of the keg, keg line. Put your lid in there, sanitize, and then push it all out with CO2. 
And then what will happen is because water is incompressible, you are basically flushing it with nothing but CO2 or really whatever's in your gas bottle. Um, that is about the best way at the homebrew level to get a keg that is filled with a minimum amount of oxygen. Uh, and I will tell you, if you do that one step, you would be amazed at how long your beer can last, particularly if you're keeping it cold. Yeah, yeah it does make a difference. Yep. And then when you go to fill it, fill it from the bottom up. Uh, I, I used to year for years would just use a line going in through the top and try and drop the line all the way down to the bottom of the keg. I've recently started putting, putting it in through the outspout, right? So right. Yep. yeah, do that and just fill very smoothly. Don't, it's not a speed contest. Uh, don't worry about wasting time and also don't worry about wasting CO2. It's much better than wasting the beer. And if you are going to go and use that then to fill cans or bottles, I advocate using like a beer gun uh, so I can do CO2 uh, flushes with the pull of a trigger. And I can also keep the the, the filling speed very slow and smooth. Uh, Denny, I, I think you are still using just basically what Cobra line and a hose. Yeah. I, uh, I have a, uh, I stick a piece of tubing into my Cobra tap. I put a, I run it through a stopper that uh, seats into the bottom of the bottle. Before I start filling the bottle, though, I do shoot CO2 into it. There you go. Last thing, um, don't wax your caps. <laughs> it doesn't do a damn thing. Yeah. It just makes it hard to open the bottle. The oxygen, the oxygen absorbing caps that are out there, May work, they may not. They, as far as I know, I've never really seen a study that proves they work. But on the other hand, they may be cheap insurance. Well, and the biggest thing about them is don't go soaking them in sanitizer at a time. Uh, well, I, I, I do that, but I use them immediately then. So it's yeah. no different than getting more with beer. Yeah, I would just dip, dip your caps in and then add them. Uh, there's a lot of stuff out there about the oxygen. The oxygen absorption part of those caps is not very massive. Uh, right. So if you just have them sitting there in sanitizer forever, they're going to take the oxygen out of the sanitizer solution and not do anything to your bottle. Right. Um, all right. And so, yeah, no wax, no everything else. So just remember oxygen at pitching time, try and avoid it uh, elsewhere. Don't freak out about this, <laughs> this sort of stuff. I mean, this is still homebrew. And again, I think this applies more into the world of pale loggers. I think packaging oxygen applies way more into like things like, Hazy IPAs. Other thing, CO two is cheap. Brew time is expensive. So yeah, don't don't Seriously. make a false, don't make a false equivalency here. It doesn't it doesn't take much CO two to purge a keg. So do it right. Yep. And last, again, I will say it all the time. I will say it repeatedly. I will say it until the end of time. Keep your beer cold. <laughs> kind of like your personality. My personality is warm. <laughs> Okay, okay. It was a bad joke. So, Denny, anything else that you think people should uh, think about with oxygen? I think that we've covered more than most people ever think about oxygen. There we go. So, if you have other ideas about how to deal with oxygen or other experiences that you want to share with us, you can reach out to us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. We are here. We love to hear ideas. Just be kind about your ideas. Remember that. That's also (laughs) important, too. That's even more important than keeping your beer cold. Just be kind, babies. All right, Kurt. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this quick review of oxygen and what we do to make sure our beer is at its utmost quality without going overboard. We know you have your opinions, so please let us know. And to that point, 
Remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at Denny at experimentalbrew.com or Drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, click the AHA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is the National Disaster Search Dog Foundation. Until next time, remember the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Join the American Homebrewers Association in November and claim an out-of-this-world offer. Use the discount code 5STAR, F-I-V-E-S-T-A-R, to receive a free 32-ounce bottle of IOSTAR sanitizer when you purchase a one-year membership. Get your free IOSTAR with the promo code 5STAR and find holiday inspiration for great gifts, craft beer recipes, beer and food pairing suggestions, and much more by visiting homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental today. Hurry, this offer won't last. Get the details at homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental. <laughs>